my dog <laughs> shout out to my dog for being my mental health support <laughs> uh, love a dad not my dad my dog oh <laughs> <laughs> i was like that took a turn yeah no no not my dad <laughs> my dog my pet has kept me alive <laughs> Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast where we talk about all the things we don't want to talk about in real life. Today is May 30th, and it's my two-year soberversary. Uh, I've officially been sober from alcohol for two years as of today. I'm really proud of myself, but also you guys know I struggle with imposter syndrome. You guys know I'm hard on myself, and I'm definitely feeling that today. Um, I wrote an essay about it, uh, about what my last two years have been like for me in, in recovery slash sobriety, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. But I really feel like the last two years, rather than kind of getting easier as they go, I feel like they've gotten harder in the absence of alcohol because I've been struggling with other things, uh, food, substances, relationships, exercising, you name it. I feel like I'm still trying to figure out how to handle my emotions uh, without hurting myself, without self-destructing. And um, I mentioned this in the essay, but basically the whole point was that I think the last two years have shown me that I really have the capacity to face such a destructive force in my life and overcome it. And so now that I've overcome alcohol, I mean, knock on wood, (laughs) I never take it for granted or anything, but now that I've conquered that, I feel like I can finally start tackling my other demons in this third year of sobriety. And by the way, I kind of don't know how I feel about the word sobriety. I feel like it's a very black and white term. I've said this so many times on the podcast before. I probably sound like a broken record, but I don't know. I, I usually prefer the term alcohol-free or like dry from alcohol or like sober from alcohol, I guess. Um, but that takes a lot of words to say. And so when I say sobriety, just know that I'm strictly referring to sobriety from alcohol. Anyway, oh, I also realized that I've been sober in Seattle longer than I've been drunk. I've now lived here for three years, and two of those years have been spent sober, and that's crazy, especially when you consider that, you know, I didn't drink at all during 2020, which is kind of a miracle. So I'm really proud of myself for that. I'm really fucking proud of myself. Uh, Patting myself on the back as I record this. But yeah, I'm really excited for today's guest. If you remember the episode I did a while back called A Light in Wild Times, uh, number 34, I interview Lucy Sarah, who is the founder of a women's motorcycle campout in Pennsylvania. And it's just a really rad event where women from all over ride their motorcycles into the woods and it's great for networking. It's great for having fun. It's just like a bunch of badass women empowering a bunch of badass women. <laughs> so today's guest is someone that I met at that camp out. Her name is Adele. And when we met, like we immediately connected because we were both kind of like the wallflowers of our group. I'm kind of infamous for like going to parties or events and always befriending the fellow quiet people because that's just how I roll. Um, But that person in that situation was Adele, and we had a really great time getting to know each other. We had a lot in common. 
Um, I remember we built a fire from scratch together and we were so proud of ourselves. So that was 2017. Since then, Adele has gone through a lot of really hard things that she talks about in this episode. Um, One of them is the suicide of someone close to her. And um, just as a content warning, if you are triggered by conversations about suicide, maybe skip this one. But yeah, she's so incredibly resilient and I'm so proud to have her on the podcast and to finally reconnect with her after the last few years. So before I jump into that interview, I wanted to make a couple of announcements, um, as they say, do some housekeeping, I guess. I'm really bad at that for this podcast. Um, I have decided that I am going to start releasing episodes on a weekly basis again, instead of on a two-week basis, at least for the summer. The reason I say that is because, well, in the beginning of the podcast, I was doing it on a weekly basis. But that quickly turned into like too much stress for me. And I just want the podcast to be like a healthy outlet and not a source of more stress. So I switched it to every two weeks. That's been the status quo for the last couple years. But this summer, I'm interviewing so many amazing guests. I'm just sitting on a ton of interviews. Um, I want to get them out in a timely manner to you guys. And also, I've been toying around with the idea of doing more solo episodes uh, since you guys liked the bulimia diaries so much uh, if you haven't listened to it it's just a collection of my audio journals you guys liked that so much that I kind of want to experiment with doing more of that so yeah throughout the summer at least I will be releasing one episode a week and super exciting the other announcement that I wanted to make is well it's less of an announcement and more of a request I have never asked this before ever on the podcast but I think um, if you want to help me out, you can go. Oh, God, this is so hard to talk about. This is so hard to say. Like, how do people say this? Basically, I want you to rate and review the podcast. If you're if you've been a fan of Pickles and Vodka um, since the beginning or maybe you just started listening and you want to help me get the word out to more people, go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and just leave a little rating or write something nice for me or maybe not. Maybe Maybe this podcast just makes you really depressed and you're like, don't listen to this. This is going to bum you out. (laughs) See, I'm so bad at this. I can't even do it without like making self-deprecating jokes. Um, Anyway, it would mean the world to me if you did that because um, I want the podcast to grow. I want to be able to reach more people. I want to have even more guests on. And to do that, um, I need your help. (laughs) I guess that's all I wanted to say. Oh God, I feel so embarrassed now for some reason. Let me see. I feel like there was more I wanted to talk about in this intro, but oh, I have a job interview coming up. That's exciting. It's my first job interview in like two years. And so I'm really nervous, but super excited. Uh, I don't know how much of this I've talked about on the podcast, but I'm trying to make a big career switch from marketing to something in the mental health field. I, I want to help make a difference in some way. So I will keep you guys updated about that. Um, but yeah, again, if you like this episode and you want to help me out, go leave a little rating or a little comment and it will make my day. I promise you. Okay, 
Here's the interview and enjoy. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hi. Oh my God. Your face. <laughs> I love your face. <laughs> oh, this is so emotional. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's been so fucking long. Like, so we yeah. met each other. When did we meet? 2017? Yeah. We went to a motorcycle camp out together. We were strangers. Yeah. Yes. Like I met up with this group of women that I knew from Instagram and you were one of them. Yeah. And like, we, well, I feel like we immediately like, connected on that trip. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we were even friends on Instagram before then. I just, no, I no, just no, know we that. Weren't. Yeah. I know that I went up with like the other people from Richmond and like, we we're picking you up on the way and we we're just yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we lived in like the DC area at the time. Yeah. Um, so now that the listeners know how we met, (laughs) (laughs) there's so much, oh my God. Okay. Why don't you introduce yourself? First of all, like what your name is, where you live, what you do, that sort of thing, if you want. Okay. My name is Adele Ball and I live in San Francisco or actually I live in Oakland, California. I don't live in the Bay area (laughs) and I am a graphic designer. But I'm currently unemployed. So. Same Z's. Yeah. <laughs> so you do a lot of stuff. When I met you, I believe you were teaching in Virginia. Yeah. So what led you to California? Um, interesting question. I mean, it was kind of like I don't know, dream of mine always to to explore like outside of Virginia. I've lived, I spent most of my life in Virginia. And I went to undergrad in California and Los Angeles and like, I like to ride motorcycles and I like to go rock climbing and go hiking and backpacking. And there's just like a lifetime of places to explore out West. There's also a lifetime of places to explore back East, but I feel um, that. yeah, I just was like, oh man, it's so awesome out there. And I just was mostly curious, but there's a couple of like pretty intense events that happened that kind of like precipitated my leaving of Virginia. Um, my former partner committed suicide and like oh, Richmond all became like a pretty um, sad place for me. Um, and I mean, like, I don't, don't want to say like I ran away from that um, place, but I needed some space. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I don't blame you at all. Yeah. So I had this dream to build um, a like tiny house camper van and I renovated um, a 1995 Chevy G20 van into like a little camper van, which is a cool project. It actually, I worked on that project with my partner, former partner's dad, actually. Um, and that was like a very healing project and time in this, that summer of 2019. And I drove with my dog out west. You have a dog? <laughs> yeah. Now. Yeah, I do. Name? My dog's name is Banshee. Yeah. Oh my God. I think I got Banshee like probably three months after we met or something like that. Like it was right around this in the same year. Oh my God. So when you built the tiny home with your former partner's dad, was that after they passed? Yeah, after after he passed. Okay. Um yeah. Wow. What was that? I mean, you said it was healing. It was healing in the sense that like, um, 
we didn't have really a relationship. Like Paul and I didn't really have a relationship. I actually Paul's didn't the dad. really like him. His the dad. Okay, yeah. Paul's the dad. Paul's the dad. I didn't really like him that much, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, back when Sam and I, my former partner, had started dating, he just kind of like showed up for me and in a time of need, like I really needed a place, I needed some help building this van. And he um, was like very accommodating and and welcoming. And I think like, for me, it was amazing to, it was cool to see like this person who's so, so similar to Sam. And then also um, to talk about it and like spend that like quality time with him. And I think for him, it was um, really healing to strengthen our relationship and like teach me some skills that like, I know that he wanted to teach Sam about like construction and shit like that. (laughs) And just like spend like hours just kind of like hanging and talking and like, yeah. um, Feeling like we're family, you know? That's so beautiful. Like, but also it sounds incredibly painful too. Like, was it like, since he was so similar to Sam, like, did you ever have moments where it was just too hard to continue? Totally. Um, or not too hard to continue. Just like moments where I'd be like, I'd have to like catch myself because I'd be like interacting with Paul in the way that I would interact with Sam, you know, like yeah. I'd kind of like forget like who's who. Uh, just their mannerisms are like the way they talk. They're super similar. Do you still talk to Paul now? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, that that sounds so beautiful. It's like something that Sam would really dig. I feel like. I think so. Yeah. Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, but, I feel like we're jumping yeah. into super like deep stuff right off the bat. Uh, you know, which... like it's honestly like just how it has to come out because like I couldn't yeah. say like why I'm in Oakland without like going to the beginning, um, yeah. and like talking about why I left Virginia. Um, you know, it's a pretty, like, traumatic experience in my life. Um, yeah. I mean, just, how, this is such a dumb question, but, like, how are you doing now in this moment? Why is that a dumb question? I don't know. It's like, <laughs> how are you feeling? It's like, um, yeah. I'm feeling like shit. Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, in this moment, in regards to, to Sam and the loss of, I feel okay, honestly. Um, I spent a lot of time processing it, a lot of time in the van, actually. I spent a lot of time writing and like creating and thinking about it. Um, Paul gave me some of his ashes and I duct taped them to the dashboard of the van. So we like, Mm. that was like always kind of like an amulet for lack of a better word. Um, There's like really strong, like kind of spiritual presence there. And I feel like I talked to that, the, the, remains like a lot I think like my head understands it and is accepting of it my heart is like broken yeah but okay and like uh, I go through moments of like feeling like the intense like somatic experience of that trauma but I mean the last time I felt that was weeks ago yeah I'm okay yeah (laughs) I okay. also, oh my god when I was um in treatment recently we weren't allowed to say okay we were, we were oh, not allowed okay. to say okay we weren't allowed to say fine but like mm. sometimes that's all all you can say you know it's just like I'm, I'm not I'm alive 
I'm here. Yeah. Like, I'm okay. <laughs> Leave me <Yeah>. alone. <laughs> Let me use my words. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So you're living in Oakland. You mm -hmm. um, are doing, are you just doing like freelance graphic design right now or? Yeah. I have one project that I'm working on and like, just like small things for family, yeah. friends and stuff like that. I wanted to ask you about your art and how it relates to your mental health because like you you talked about creating as a way to heal and obviously mm -hmm. you have the van which is like monumental in your healing I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um definitely writing is a huge part of my artistic practice and that's like a really helpful processing tool. Um so when I was in the van I wrote like a monthly newsletter and I like kept a really intense set of journals, um, would write a lot every day, would kind of like craft this like poem slash newsletter and like send it out via email to, to anyone in my circle who's like, who wanted to read it? Um, and yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the van was a very creative project that, that was also very healing, like to create, to build this like house and sense of safety with, with Paul was like, super yeah. special full disclosure when I moved to Oakland I sold the van pretty much immediately okay. um wow. I, what was that like well I sold it because it was my only car <laughs> and I got this job I had this job in the city so I was commuting every day mm -hmm. and it was just like completely unrealistic to like the gas prices in California are really expensive the yeah. van gets like eight miles per gallon if I'm commuting like 20 miles a day like just really doesn't it's not feasible yeah. um and I accidentally like hit my neighbor's car trying to parallel park like super low speed which like did no damage to the van because it's like an old tank but yeah like, ripped a bumper off of this car like the plastic bumper and like that night I like helped my neighbor like order the part and like help them fix it and like just was like I gotta get rid of this thing um Wow. And it seemed like it was like time to go for it, you know. Um, a lot of people ask me, like, weren't you sad to let that go? And I feel I didn't feel sad about it mostly because I felt really good about the person that I sold it to. Someone who really needed who's looking for something with the same specifications that I built my van at and like they needed like some secure housing and it worked out. It just worked out. It just yeah. seemed Serendipitous. right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's it served its purpose in your life and it was there when you needed it. And it's I think it's really good that you knew when to let go that. Yeah, I don't know if I would be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, I am surprised that I did yeah. when I look back on it now, but that it was kind of like being flexible and like being able to like kind of like move into the next thing when it appeared has been something that I learned since moving out here. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit like moving backward to um, your earlier years, like because you was mental health talked about in your family. Like how was that approached? Not at all, actually. Um, not at all. I grew up in a household that only condoned good emotions good quote-unquote good emotions <laughs> so like I wasn't allowed to be angry I wasn't allowed to be sad I wasn't allowed to experience pain I wasn't allowed to like be you know jealous or envious or like 
greedy. What's left after all that? It's like, those are all the emotions I feel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. And like, I'm not allowed to be like competitive, you know, like just like, Jesus. <clears throat> or like the, the like envy and jealousy that's like laced into like com- competitive nature, my particular competitive nature. So like, and mental health was not talked about, you know, like in my family, it was kind of like, we don't need therapy. We don't need mental health services. We don't need medication. That was kind of the attitude, which is super unfortunate because my my dad struggles with severe um, depression. Hmm. There was a period of time in my childhood where he was severely depressed and it was never talked about. Like he stopped going to work stopped getting out of bed um my mom kind of like hid it from everyone and we never Mm -hmm. talked about it I don't even know what kind of treatment he received if any he went through another period of severe depression um several years ago and was hospitalized and has medication that works for him still doesn't like therapy kind of believes that it's like a thing that you only need for a minute um and then you can graduate or something like you go, go through therapy like a program you know <laughs> yeah that's really frustrating when it's like someone you love so much it's so close to you and you, like the, the help is right there they just don't take it and especially if they don't talk about it like I, I went through a very similar experience with my mom when I was a teenager she was uh abusing opioids and like I remember she disappeared for a while to like detox and no one ever talked about it like we mm. kids were just kind of like pawned off on neighbors to watch us for a few days. And then like she was mm. back and they were acting like nothing happened. And so mm. I understand how frustrating that is, especially when you're not allowed to let out those emotions and you're just kind of like sitting with them. So like how did that, did they come up in any other way for you? The emotions? I mean, honestly, I was pretty out of touch with my emotions for like most of my teenage years. Okay. what, what How did that look like? I mean, I remember being... I was out of touch with my emotions and I would experience like extreme sadness and not really an extreme anger, like, or like frustration and not really understand like why Um, I engaged in Mm self-harm and, and I felt a lot of shame about that too, because like we weren't allowed to like express pain or sadness. And to me, that's, that was expressing some sort of like feeling and like, some sort of pain or sadness and well, yeah um, it's it's gonna come out uh, exactly. it's, it's, it's gonna come out like everyone we're human we feel pain we feel sadness and if you can't talk about it like uh i mean you know self-harm is how a lot of people deal with that like they have to how i mean i did it too like expressing that pain because you don't have any other outlet exactly yeah i didn't have anyone to really talk to about it i just had one friend who kind of understood that was the only person I talked to yeah I was gonna ask about your support system at the time and like when whenever you eventually like left the household like what kind of shift happened like with your emotions and stuff Mm. I mean when I left the house I didn't have a support system um I had yeah I had my one friend who I'm still really close with and I remember talking to her about it in high school you know like once or twice yeah and when I left the house uh when I moved out I moved to Honduras and developed severe anorexia. 
So, I mean, I still didn't really feel my emotions. I don't think at that time. What was in Honduras? What were you doing over there? I was doing um, service work. I was like, I was a little 18 year old who was like super ambitious and was like, I'm going to save the world. (laughs) Highly problematic way. (laughs) Hey, it happens to the best of us. Yeah. (laughs) But like, I'm not, I've like graduated high school, like fuck college. Like I'm going to like do humanitarian work. Like, Wow. I mean, that kind of surprises me that you were like, fuck college. Cause like, you know, obviously you went back and, you know, you taught for a while and. I, I consider you this very like academic person. Mm, that's that's so <laughs> Which is... cool. I guess <laughs> I spent a lot a of years. It's in like school. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, I have my problems with academia as well. <laughs> well, we'll go, okay, go, we'll go back to Honduras though, and the anorexia. Like how? Uh, what was going on at the time? What was going on at the time? I mean, <laughs> what's going on now? What is going on now? Yeah. I think at the time, like, I moved to this place that was, like, so different from anything I'd ever experienced. Um, and I was, like, on my own for the first time and, like, ha- having to really support myself in my emotional, like, support my emotional self on my own. And, like, I had no school. <laughs> I had no skills. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean you're just kind of like thrown out into the world and expected to find your way but like you have all these emotions you don't know how to get out you like you said you you weren't given any skills like you didn't really know what you were doing like first of all like who who knows what they're doing right out of high school or now you know right when did the anorexia develop um pretty much immediately uh and it's kind of all it had all it had already been developing like I was already experienced like experiencing body dysmorphia and like this was super kind of comparative with other people and other girls in my grade in high school and below me and when I was living in my parents house as a teenager I just I was like watched pretty intensely we weren't allowed to like we always had family dinner every night you had to attend family dinner you had to eat food even if you weren't hungry you had to eat all your food and if you didn't it was like a personal attack on my mom yeah it's like wasting resources yeah and also it was she like took it personally like well I'll never cook for you again like you don't like the way that I make this food, you know, just like like so so was the anorexia kind of like a rebellion against that um I mean, you've had all years to think about it now. Obviously, at the time, you might not have known what you're doing. But, like, thinking about it yeah. now, well, like... Yeah. I mean, I think partially, you know, like, I was like, I can do whatever I want now. And, like, I don't have to, like, I don't have to be controlled by other people on what about what I eat. I'll just wow. control myself. Did anyone, like, come, like, notice and talk to you about it? Um, No one really talked about it. I would get comments from my roommates, you know, like maybe you should eat something more, but no one really mentioned anything. Yeah. I mean, like everyone was kind of off in their own. Yeah. It's trying to keep maintain themselves. And I'm not, honestly like not really sure. Cause I've suppressed a lot of that time. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I get it. I have periods in my life that are just like blurry that I don't yeah. remember. It's like, that's what, ugh, that's trauma for you, baby. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm sure that people mention stuff, but I'm sure that like I also just was like, you know, like I was had really kind of like shut down. How long were you <laughs> in Honduras for? I was there for three months. Okay. Was it like a like a mission trip or something? Kind of, yeah. It was associated with our church somehow. Okay, yeah. I'm familiar with those. Yeah. But it wasn't very, like, necessarily, like, Christian in the programming or anything like okay. that. Okay. It's just, like, just... a bunch of, like, volunteers, like, living there, like, full-time for, like, years. So. How did that experience affect, like, your decisions when you got back? Like, I mean, you did that, and then you got back, and... um you had to decide like what to do next you mm. know did that change how you viewed your the world or like um did it change what you wanted to do with your life or yeah it definitely changed my view of the world like I realized like just how much privilege I had grown up in and like those kinds that privilege like kind of disgusted me upon my return yeah like I remember I was I distinctly remember going to the supermarket with probably with my mom or something and just being like whoa there's like so much random ass food here it's pretty wild if you've been to like a a third world country or whatever um and then coming back it's like you're shell-shocked yeah like i am swimming in food right now like (laughs) yeah there's like a whole like aisle devoted to cereal i was just like the fuck how is that like with your eating disorder too you know that must have been hard for me I remember thinking a lot about how like my family existence was like so gluttonous um yeah everything seemed to all of a sudden seem to revolve around food um indulgence so indulgent and like I didn't deserve this you know like oh my god yeah how long did that last like the eating disorder when you got home like what happened after that I mean it was a little bit tempered because I moved back in with my parents um but I you know so there was still like a requirement of like you have to eat but you know like going back to like you these scheduled meals basically (laughs) force feeding and like so, I mean, which is, like, a pretty traumatic way to experience food, you know, like... I never thought about it like that before. But you're so right. plate club, yeah. She's like, my family <laughs> sung a song when we cleaned our plates. Mm. And now, like, you know, I have bulimia and, like, binge eating disorder, and I really, really struggle to, like, I have to finish my plate. I feel really guilty if I don't, even if I'm, like, yeah. full. And, like, yeah, I, I never thought of it as, like, traumatic like that before, but you're totally right. Yeah. It's like you're being taught to ignore your body. Yeah. Basically. And that teaching can have far and wide negative consequences. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> to put it lightly. Totally. Anyways, I, I live with my parents. This is like such a classic move. I ended up like getting like two jobs um, so that I could just work all the time and like didn't have to like be home. So I like worked at a coffee shop and then worked like a babysitting job. So I was just like pretty much all hours of the day, like was like working and like didn't have to be home. I don't really remember much from that time period. I just know that I justified that because I was like, I'm going to travel again. I want to go see my friend um, who's living in Spain and like 
I want to explore. And like, this is a way for me to save money. And it's like, so justified, you know, if I, if I don't buy food, that's more money saved. Yeah. And meanwhile, your emotions are just like getting pushed aside and like, right. Like I have no recollection of what my emotions were (laughs) at that time. How old were you at the time? Uh, 18. 18? 18, 19. Yeah. So when did you end up getting back like into graphic design and that sort of thing? After that year, I decided to go to to undergrad. And I guess I got into graphic design once I was in undergrad, um, my third year of school. Okay, so pretty late in the game. Yeah. I knew I had always wanted, like I had always been attracted to like, flat two-dimensional super graphic um typographic um high contrast just like really cool imagery you know like poster design album covers like so cool book design um and I went to the school that I was going to didn't actually have like a specific graphic design program I just studied like studio art because also I wasn't I wanted to go to school for graphic design. Like I wanted to go to art school and um, my parents who like in a beautiful way helped me go to college financially, like with a not so beautiful caveat of like, you can go to the school that like, will like that we approve of. So I wasn't allowed to go to art school. I had to go to a liberal art school because they're like, well, you never know. Like you might want to like study mathematics. Like, no. I, okay Did i don't even know yeah. you. <laughs> i know exactly oh my god i feel i see this constant theme in your life of just like your control being taken away from you and just like mm. not having any agency in your life like do, do you feel like that's accurate oh so accurate and that's something i rebelled against so hard yeah. and then to this day like the best way to get me to do something is like to tell me i can't <laughs> I mean, yeah, then I'm it's... like, fuck you. Like, I will do that. <laughs> so, when did you graduate school, first of all? Um, in 2012. Okay. And, like, what happened after that? Like, what was going through your head? How were you feeling? I was like, oh, I mean, I just fell in love with my former partner. So, I was like, I, you know, first love in my yeah. life. And I was just like, I want to do whatever. I'll just like, I'll follow you wherever. <laughs> yeah. So when I graduated, that was, I moved back to Virginia. Did you feel like you began to regain control in some sense? Mm. That, or do you feel like you kind of just shifted the control like over to your partner? Mm. Um, Does that make sense? That's an interesting question. Yeah. I know. I mean, for me, I know it was kind of similar. Like I had no control as a mm-hmm. young adult and then my first relationship also was very very strong like first love and I kind of just shifted all of that onto him like you're mm-hmm. my person now you just I'll do whatever you want mm-hmm. I definitely I mean like I moved back to Virginia for Sam for sure I really wanted to stay in California but I was like, I'll just go visit for two weeks. And then like, you know, like two years went by and I was like, whoa. As it does. <laughs> As when it you're does. in love. <laughs> yeah. And like being in love with him and dating him seemed like a little bit of a rebellion. 
Why was that? Just because she was very different from like the people that I grew up around. You know, like wow. I went to like private school. There's a lot of like rich preppy kids. Sam grew up like in Central Virginia, went to public school. Like didn't go to college. Like had, you know, there's a there was a class difference for sure. Yeah. Um, and but also like he was like a real free spirit. Um, in a way that like I learned a lot from like about like being able to just like be myself and vulnerable and wild and kind of feral um, yeah. in a way that was like not allowed <laughs> growing up. Can you talk more on that? Yeah. Pretty much right after we met, you know, like he was a really free spirited person, very like compassionate and accommodating or like what could talk to like anyone was not judgmental in that sense. Sounds like the opposite of your experience growing up growing up totally yeah exact opposite <laughs> yeah but like healthy totally so. yeah i mean like what's the purpose of that judgment you know yeah i should ask my parents that <laughs> <laughs> oh my god tune tune back in and we'll let you guys know how it goes oh my god exactly. can you imagine <laughs> uh, yeah oh man I thought about having like my mom. On- my mom's been on the podcast, but like I've thought mm-hmm. about having her on again and like having a full on like argument, like conversation about like just bringing up difficult topics. Yeah. I've also thought about asking my therapist to be on. I, I just have no boundaries sometimes. Great. <laughs> so you started experiencing this feeling of just like being feral and free and. Yeah. And like not being judged for like who I was. Yeah. Did that, did that kind of dictate the course of your life? Like, did you find yourself moving in a different direction than you had been before? I mean, I think like it really tempered me or like not tempered me. It really like opened me up. Honestly, it really cracked me open. I remember experiencing like a lot more emotions. Um, I think I became like a much more patient friend a much more present person. Did you have problems being present before? Definitely. I mean, like, I would surround myself with, like, purposely surround myself with extroverts, you know, so that I didn't have to, like, show up any part of myself. I I know that's one thing we bonded over at the camping trip, because, like, there were a lot of rowdy people, and everyone is being loud and extroverted, and we were just, like, sitting in the corner, just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> talking like, about uh, fucking art and like yeah <laughs> totally like trying to make a fire and just be like oh my god yes the fire. Here. <laughs> we built yeah. a fire from scratch and we were so proud of it yeah oh my god that's like that yeah, yeah that was a huge that was a huge moment for me i cherish that <laughs> same i have this great picture of you like with your plaid like your flannel just sitting by uh-huh. the fire and it's such a good memory yeah yeah definitely yeah, so, but when I met you, I, I saw you as, sure, like, introverted, quiet, but I, you know, also a free spirit, um, and, you know, at the time, I think you might, you might have been teaching, I'm not sure, but um, I don't know, I guess I saw you as very, like, you know what you're doing, you kind of have your life path figured mm-hmm. out, you're following your passion, like, what was going on at the time? Yeah, I mean, you met me in, like, a relatively healthy period of my life, sort of, uh, it's hard to say, like, I'm like, take that back. <laughs> yeah. What is healthy? As far as, yeah. As far as like, as far as my 
struggles with like disordered eating goes like mm. I didn't though I was relatively healthy at that point in my life yeah yeah so I went to I went to grad school I like kind of like woke up out of this like dream phase like in my this relationship and was like oh yeah like I do want to be a graphic designer like that's totally what I want to do I'm going to change that passion I applied to school one school got in was just like okay here we go that was a really intense experience like grad school will fuck your shit up jesus i I can (laughs) only imagine i couldn't do it yeah but like also how rewarding that you get to do that you know like after being told you can't go to art school now you're fucking getting your master's and pouring blood sweat and tears into this totally i mean it definitely just like kind of (laughs) chipped away at the like foundations of like my sense of self just the it's intense grad school at least art school grad school is really intense like your blood sweat and tears it's hard to separate it was hard for me to separate myself from the work and like when the work gets criticized like so do I the work is me that was really difficult I mean also there's just like ridiculous expectations in graduate school I was literally told by one of my professors if you're not staying up all night you're not working hard enough which is like such a destructive thing to say yeah that's not healthy at all not at all yeah oh my god I can imagine you got out of that a little bit uh traumatized absolutely yeah a little traumatized I also you know like right at the very 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 end I figured it out like there's like a bit of a light like the last month of grad school where I was like you know what like screw all of the things that I'm supposed to be doing like I just want to like learn how to make furniture at like my mentor's neighbor's house and like sew things and like really kind of like work with my hands a little bit more and so that was like that was a huge lesson from grad school but also like there's just so much kind of like mental gymnastics on my part that I think I was really struggling with my sexuality and my gender identity. And I was trying to like be okay with being like a woman, mm-hmm. which is like a word that I like don't like now to describe yeah. myself. Um, but I was like really trying to be like, this is, it's okay to like be a woman. Like, let's explore what that it means and see if I can like make it fit, which it, it didn't, you know. Yeah. Um, Have you been feeling like that your whole life? Yeah, I have. I mean, I've always been a tomboy. My parents tried to have a like a tea party for birthday party for me, like with all the other girls in like my kindergarten class and like there's like dolls and shit. And like as soon as the parents went inside, I like rounded up all of my friends and like went into the forest and like climbed trees. I was like, fuck this shit. Like, I don't give a I got in trouble for that, actually. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you were raised with very traditional gender norms in your family. And that's totally really hard to break away from. And it's like when you first start questioning it, at least for me, like, it's like you don't allow yourself to question it. And I think having the freedom to explore is really important. So, yeah, when you it sounds yeah. like you just didn't let yourself explore that until later in your life. Mm-hmm. What was that like when you finally did start? exploring that terrifying yeah (laughs) like totally scary why was it scary I mean it felt natural but at the same time I my inner critic is like so loud and Mm -hmm. you know I questioned 
my decisions, whether they were intuitive or like whether I was just acting out, you know, like doing yeah. something for attention. Cause these are the narratives that had been like fed to me. Like, totally. Oh, like you're just a lesbian in college or, you know, like all this shit or like, Oh, like it's just a phase or, you know, it's just trendy. Yeah. Or... If you're too young, they're like, Oh, it's not real. It's just a phase. But if then if you're older, it's like, I, I don't know. It's, it's not fair. <laughs> yeah. What do you identify as now? Like how, what conclusion have you come to in your exploring? If any. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a, it's a journey. Right. Today, like today I could tell you because it changes every day today. I'm like, <laughs> Sorry. let's, I want to talk about that more. Like it can change. You're allowed to change. Like people don't yeah. really consider that. I think that was also something that was terrifying to me too, is like, oh, if I want to accept this as part of my identity, like, am I, if I want to accept this as part of my identity, like I have to be 110% sure because like, I can't go back on it. Oh my God. Learn Like you know? just having the freedom to change your mind is so revolutionary. It's something like I yeah. recently, recently started trying to be okay with. Like it's so yeah. fucked up, but and yeah. so I interrupted you earlier. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, well, you asked me about, like, what I identify. I'm like, what do I identify as today? Um, for the past, like, year or so, I, being bisexual has felt like a ter good term to describe my queer sexuality or just being queer. I mean, honestly, yeah. queer is, like, such a nice word because it means so many things to so many people. And my gender identity, I mean, non-binary has felt, like, the most comfortable um yeah you don't need to elaborate i i don't want to label you or anything like, yeah <laughs> i mean i felt like i honestly like tomboy is like the most comfortable for me like yeah. my whole life yeah. yeah did you feel pretty like comfortable in your identity now or how's that how's that going i do it's nice to like live in a place with such a robust queer community and like I have so many non-binary friends now, which I had, I didn't have any non-binary friends in Richmond actually, and just a handful yeah. of queer friends. So my community seems, um, so I feel very supported. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you're supportive. Yeah. Like having a community is really important. Mm -hmm. So when you were in Virginia with Sam, um, and then he passed and you moved to Oakland. I imagine your mental health was really fragile at the time. Like what super was going fragile. on when you were moving to California? My mental health was super fragile in the van. And I didn't quite understand how fragile it would be. I was pretty like all over the place, like ecstatic. One hour, super grief stricken. Next, super, super anxious. By the time I made it to California, I was super anxious, like, actually the whole time, honestly, because it's like, where am I going to drive? Like, am I going to run out of gas? Am I going to run out of money? Where am I going to eat? What am I going to do next? Like, I'm the one making all the decisions, which is so rad. In yeah, one I was going to say, it's so empowering. Like, that's kind of what I loved about motorcycle culture is that it is very, like, fly by the seat of your pants. Like, yes. And you learn just how capable you are. Yeah, absolutely. There were moments that, like, totally proved that to me. And then at the same time, like, it was exhausting to be that anxious and, like, that in control 
you know, like I'm the only person looking out for myself. Yeah. If anything, you know, like I have to like weigh so many things when I make any turn on any road, like, am I going to run out of cell service? Is it going to be a road that I can drive on? Is the weather okay? Am I going to be too cold? Is there going to be a place for me to stay? Will there be gas? You know, like, will it be safe? How long did that trip take from Virginia to California? It took me five months. Five months? Four months. Four months. months. Okay. So this was like a major road trip for you. Like you. Huge. Yeah. Wow. And I didn't have a destination in mind. I was just kind of like going. Yeah. And I didn't have a community, you know, like I was all alone. I had really just like extricated myself from my life as I knew it. Wow. How, like, uh, I I don't know. How did you survive? (laughs) Like, I mean, though <laughs> do you think you were using it as like a distraction the trip yeah or just like you talk about the the emergencies that would pop up with gas and stuff i know for me i kind of tend to latch on like i'm really good in emergency situations because it's something present it's something tangible like it's a problem that i can solve whereas like my emotional problems it's not so easy so like i would much rather face like an emergency you know on the road than deal with mm-hmm. my emotions. yeah a logical like a logistics problem Easy. Yeah. yeah that's a good point you know I've never really thought about it that way I'm sure it was a distraction you know but like my emotional state like really caught up with me and that's when I like started to relapse um and developed bulimia actually when I was in the van well, you, when you emailed me, you said you were experiencing like a bulimia relapse. And um, we haven't really talked about eating disorders at all uh, yeah. or mental health, really. And so what was going on when you when you did relapse? That's such a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> what wasn't going on? I mean, I was so anxious. I was just so anxious and I was so sick of feeling so sad. And for me, like, to calm the anxiety, like... I would binge eat, immediately feel guilty, make myself purge. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a release, you know? Such a release, yeah. And like like all the negative emotions just like draining out of your body. Exactly. And it also at that point in time, I felt kind of spiritual too. Like I just Mm -hmm. really wanted to release like my grief and like former self and former life. Like if I could have thrown up that part of my spirit like I would have wow yeah I mean I think there is something very spiritual about purging like the act of purging it's not not just with bulimia but just like um I mean it's such a it's such a charged word yeah you know it's just like you are expulsing all this toxic stuff from your life you're getting rid of something that was causing you harm or weighing on you heavily. You know, it's like, yeah, I, that's sorry. I'm just kind of like really thinking about that now when you, cause I never really thought about it as like spiritual before, but it totally is. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I mean, I had been alone for a long ass time <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Did you stop and see people along the way or? I did. Yeah. I definitely did. I stopped and saw like a friend of a friend in Colorado. And then I saw, yeah, that's right. And then I saw a former classmate in Colorado and like everything basically like west of that. 
for the next like several weeks for the next like six weeks basically i i had some friends but i was alone most of the time that's the kind of experience that really changes you like how do you feel like it changed you now like now that everything's said and done i mean now that's said and done it changed me i feel like i found this like reserve of a capability within myself like I, I made the trip. I didn't intend to to land in Los Angeles or California, um, but I like survived. Um, and I, and part of that capability is like knowing when to ask for help. And like, I realized that it became very apparent once I got to California that I really needed a place that to stay that was an actual house that yeah. was safe and stable. And I reached back out to my therapist. Okay. I was going to ask you about therapy this whole time, but like, were you in therapy like throughout your, your trip? No. Oh, no. Um, I keep forgetting that we didn't always have teletherapy. Like <laughs> in my mind, it's like, oh yeah, you, they could just like do therapy on the trip. But like, no, we used to no. have and we went and saw in person. I know. Yeah. So when I left Virginia, like I, I broke up with my therapist basically. Who I'd been seeing for a year at that point. Um, She was very helpful and we processed like a lot of grief together. The months leading up to when I left. But yeah, I didn't have any mental health support. Kind of had to like be there for yourself or collapse. Like the only other option is just like, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, actually, let me take that back. My dog. (laughs) shout out to my dog for being my mental health support (laughs) uh love a dad not my dad my dog oh (laughs) (laughs) i was like that took a turn yeah no no not my dad (laughs) my dog my pet has kept me alive honestly my pet has kept my mental health above like critical yeah or at least has like at least has like helped pull me out of like the that critical stage because like anytime like that I have suicidal thoughts or like mm-hmm. thoughts of self harm, I can almost every time convince myself against it because I'm like, well, what would happen to Banshee? You have this little baby staring up at you who's depending on you. Your their exactly. whole world. Exactly. Yeah, I I would definitely not be alive if it weren't for my cats. Like it's very yeah, it's real. Yeah, and so my yeah dog was with me at the entire van trip, and like that was helpful. And it's helpful too. Like she was there's a re- she gave me a reason to like go for a walk, like explore some of the things, like the amazing nature that I had like intended to explore until like you know, like my mental health just like plummeted and I just mm-hmm. didn't have the bandwidth to actually like go there. And so like, yeah, I don't know. She's definitely been a savior. What was your favorite place that you saw on your way to California? It's a good question. Um, or do you have like a memory that you cherish? Mm, we went swimming in like Michigan in um, October which was cool. I grew up by Lake Michigan. It's oh, like cool. it's really fucking it's cold. cold. 
yeah yeah I cherish that memory a lot because that really (laughs) felt like my most like and that was in the beginning of the trip and like yeah I just remember being like I like this is a huge lake maybe it's kind of a warm day like I want to swim in it and I was like I'm gonna do that even though it's like super painful and you know and it's like you know it's pretty simple to like swim if you know how to swim obviously yeah it's pretty simple to like go swim in like a cold lake you just go in but the point is like you no one really (laughs) thinks about that no one like gives themselves permission to do stuff like that yeah but you're like oh my god like i can can. do whatever i want (laughs) well exactly yeah so by the time you ended the trip like would you say how would you say that you were different well i had like relapsed into eating disorder behaviors so that was different um so wait oh sorry so when you got to california you were relapsed in your eating disorder you were needing help you were saying yeah yeah so like what led to you ultimately asking for help and how did that come about i didn't ask for help for several months i found i did find a place to stay which feels like help I mean, I was able to help myself in that way. So yeah. I found like a room to rent and and I found a job and like, but then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And I didn't ask, I didn't reach back out to like professional service, mental health services until, I didn't reach back out to my therapist until a couple of weeks into the pandemic when I was like, you know, stuck in my house, things were getting really bad in my eating disorder things were really tense between me and my roommates yeah. it's been hell yeah. yeah um i feel yeah yeah it's just really full of anxiety um i have been like drinking at night like drinking whiskey at night like in my room just like really kind of like locked in my own head it's like um, spiraling exactly it was really spiraling out of control and eventually um i can't remember what precisely like like if something led to like you getting out of that like sometimes it just passes sometimes it does pass I can't remember if there's like a specific moment that I was like I should need to reach out to my therapist but I do know like that was around March so it was the one year anniversary of Sam's death I'm sure that had Mm -hmm. something to do with it like experiencing that and like I mean, I just think there's like, there's like some moments of clarity where for me, I would just walk out of the bathroom and look at my throat, just like burning and just be like, wait, what is going on? Or, you know, like wake up super hungover. Did you ever like wake up to food that you ordered and forgot about and then you passed out? <laughs> when no. I was, when I was drinking and bulimic at the same time, that was, it's truly hell. It truly is. Yeah. Like I would get super drunk and order food and then pass out eating it and like wake up and be like oh my god I forgot to my main concern was that I forgot to purge you know like that's so fucked up it's no way to live yeah it's no way to live no I mean like there was no food delivery and like (laughs) (laughs) well that's probably a good thing yeah (laughs) yeah so you ultimately contacted your therapist again and started seeing her yeah and I think that it was possible to do that because of the pandemic because of Mm. zoom 
Yeah. You know, because all of a sudden, like mental health services, like could be provided telehealth was yeah. a thing, like was a legit thing. It sucks that it took that. I know. And like at the time, like I hadn't been, a, you know, I'd only lived like over here for a couple of months. So I still had like all of my Virginia Medicare. Nice. So it was, it was still really accessible. I mean, it just, yeah, it worked it was out easy. It was easy. It has not been so easy since. <laughs> yeah well so what's yeah. wrapping up like i mean i don't know yeah. i feel like there's so much still there's so much <laughs> to share like you've yeah. gone through so much since i last saw you and it's yeah. been a really rough ride i asked you at the beginning how you're doing like in this moment and i don't remember what you answered like, i don't think i answered about sam i uh i answered yeah. in response to my my grief with sam but in this moment you know like one of the things that it has been a really rough ride since I met you. I know. It's like a different lifetime. Yeah. Different totally. Person. Yeah. But, you know, like transformation is inevitably going to be painful. And one of the things that I've really cherished over the past year has been like the power of vulnerability and like sharing oh my, my God, yeah. story with strangers that I met on the internet in support groups, you know, like yes. random people. Everyone asks, like, why did you come out here? And sometimes I don't tell the full story. How you can know, you? It's not worth it. But, you know? um, yeah. When, so when did you start being vulnerable with people online? Over the summer. Okay. Well, did anything lead up to that? or? My therapist suggested that I find an online support group and do, like, group therapy. Try that out. Nice. And really change my life. How did, how did you find the group? Was it, like, through your therapist or...? Um, she sent me a couple of links, but I used ANAD. Um, ANAD runs a couple of Zoom support groups. And then I also searched around in the Bay Area specifically for eating disorder support groups online and found this one called Communities of Healing or Project mm. Heal. And they're just like really badass. I definitely shopped around. Well, There's yeah. like meetings with like people, like 20 people. So awkward. <laughs> they're like, my name's Adele. But yeah, <laughs> and it took me so many months to really open up, but like it's a practice I really cherish now. And vulnerability is just so radical and like yeah. so healing. So, how do you practice vulnerability like on a daily basis? Would you say? Ooh, good question. Um, <laughs> I'm full of those sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, on a daily basis. Uh, I'm like looking in the mirror. <laughs> Ask yourself. No, seriously. <laughs> okay, honestly though, looking in the mirror is so fucking hard. Can we just talk about that? Like, if you have an eating disorder, like it, from the moment the day begins, and I look at myself in the mirror, it's like, oh my god, I can't do this. Like, I can't yeah. be in this body, and it's just like yeah. you have to be vulnerable with yourself, kind of. Yeah. And. I don't know. It's, it's really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. It's just, yeah, on a day to day basis, like maybe that is the most courageous thing that I do every day. But also like, definitely, is, there's a level of vulnerability. On a good day, I'm like, I can question like, why looking in the mirror is so hard. And it's a process like you have gone through so much. And this is very early on in your journey, you know, and you're in recovery for multiple things and it's it's gonna be a long time but i mean mm -hmm. you were your chance it's like you said transformation is painful 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like you're still in the process of like transforming into the next stage of your life? Or oh my god, every day. Yeah. <laughs> There's like like though it will. It's endless work. Yeah. It will never end. And I feel okay with that. I used to think that like like I turned thirty last year. I turned thirty one like. Yes, yesterday, actually. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck. I literally was writing notes about stuff to bring up with you. And the very first note was birthday. Because I noticed noticed it was your birthday yesterday. Oh, my God. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, I love you. And I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that I'm 31. Like, on the one hand, I'm like, I made it. Okay. Like, I made it 31. I really didn't think I was going to make it this old. Yeah. Just leave so many from so many things. Um, okay, let me ask you this: How have you transformed in the last year? Last, mm. I mean, what are some ways you've transformed in the last year that you're proud of? Mm. To on like a positive note. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I feel really proud of joining us a recovery support group. I really feel really proud of like using that word to describe myself as recovery? In recovery. Yeah. I mean, like, because for me, like to say that I'm in recovery means that I have overcome the shame of like saying that I have a problem. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love my friends and my support group so much. <laughs> that has like been a huge transformation for me. Just asking for help and like letting yourself be supported. Letting myself be supported and be seen and supporting back. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. Sally has something super intense to talk about every time. Yeah. But like knowing that part of like being in the sport group is showing up to support other people. That's huge. Totally. What are some ways you like to be supported when you're going through a really rough time? Mm, yeah. Um, one of the best people ha- have asked me this before. Uh, in terms of grief and one of the best ways to that I felt supported in grief was when they would like straight up ask me like how I was feeling what did that make me feel like to experience that loss yes it's nice to ask me like what are things that I loved about Sam or like remember about him that's important to you yeah the worst thing for me was when people would ignore it or skirt around it like be afraid of it yeah exactly. uh, I just want to say like you're so strong and I just you are doing your best in the moment and just shining through your pain and Mm. you know you are you're imperfect and that's beautiful you're struggling and you are vulnerable and like that's so important and I wish more people could it takes a lot of work to be vulnerable like to reach that point where you're okay with being vulnerable and I'm really proud of you for getting there thank you yeah. I'm really proud of you for running this podcast and <laughs> asking such cool questions. And I, it's such a resource for me. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah I, yeah. I feel like I'd go crazy if I couldn't talk about it. And yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Is there anything else you wanted to add or resources you wanted to drop or shout outs? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like I just don't know that much. <laughs> oh my god, that's that's gonna be the quote. I just don't know that much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mood. <laughs> I just don't know. But yeah, I'll much. definitely link some of the support groups in the show notes because, like, literally the last episode, I was saying, like, oh my god, I didn't know free support groups for eating disorders were a thing. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. that's super important. Yeah, a and I don't know what that stands for. Uh, I should. I Maybe. don't either. 
um, and community project heal. Super project heal. Super important. Mm -hmm. Nice. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I will let you go now. Okay. Um, thank you so much for being here. It's so good to catch up with you. There's like so many more questions I want to ask you that I'll I know. <laughs> we should just like chat sometime on the phone. Absolutely. I would love that. We'll ride motorcycles again together someday. Someday. Do you have a motorcycle yeah. now? No. No. Okay. Me neither. Yeah. I sold mine when I moved out from Virginia. Same. And I worked for that electric moped place, but. Yeah. They laid us off because they closed the um they closed the shop in San Francisco. You know what? It's just not the time right now. It is not, not the, time. the time. Also, not gonna lie, those bikes are cute, but like you have like a twenty mile range. Yeah. Before you have to charge it again. I was gonna like I wanted you were like we can come and ride them and I was like yeah but on the inside I was like what about what are we gonna do are we gonna, are we gonna ride down the alley like yeah I do. <laughs> what is can ride around. They are really awesome to ride around the city, but like okay. not fun to ride on. I mean, you can't ride on the freeway or anything like that. You mean I can't ride across the country on a rad power um, bike? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Damn. You're going to have to do a lot of pedaling <laughs> or it'll take you a long time. I was about to make a joke about <laughs> calories burning and I was just like, no, no, I can't. It's not the time. <laughs> it could be. I do appreciate, actually, I do appreciate like the every now and then like a shit post. Like oh, easy hell yeah. related humor meme. It's just Oh my God. I follow so many eating disorder meme accounts. I interviewed a girl from China who runs a very uh, like thousands of followers meme account. So cool. I will send it to you. Yeah. And I'll okay. send you the episode. I'll send you the account. It's great. Okay. How did we get here? I don't know. Um but yeah. <laughs> I love you. This is great. Love and you too. Thank you so much for your time yeah. and just being vulnerable with me and the listeners. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Have a good thanks night. Thanks for having this podcast. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.